Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of Across Storied Lands. I'm your host, Jordana Manchester, a Canadian-born writer, travel expert, and anthropology enthusiast. Each week, this podcast will feature themes around travel, culture, and the human condition. But first, I want to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Lilawat, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, proud descendants of the Coast Salish Aboriginal peoples. Now that we've acknowledged the ancestors and living keepers of this great land, let's dive in. Welcome back to Across Storied Lands. I know, it's been a while. I'm so sorry. But I'm also so happy that you're here listening in. This is supposed to be a weekly podcast, and I promise that is still my intention. There are hundreds of topics I am dying to explore. I've just been dealing with a few challenges. And with this being a pretty personal episode, I'm going to give you a little window into what I've been feeling before all of this happened. I've been seriously struggling during this pandemic. I've been struggling as a mom, struggling on the career front, struggling mentally, and definitely struggling with my physical health. Some days I feel like the most unproductive human on earth. I feel like the worst friend, a bad daughter, bad sister, and a super average mom. I definitely suffer heavy bouts of imposter syndrome, and there are some nights when everyone in the house is asleep and I'm just laying there wondering, do I add any value to anyone in my life? I know, I know, it sounds pretty grim. And I don't feel like this every day, but this this year has definitely chipped away at my confidence. And I was feeling all of this before my family fell ill, so you can imagine how I was cursing the universe when all of this went down. But through this experience, as horrible as it was, I had the greatest lesson in gratitude I think I've ever had. I was supported by my family, my friends, and my community, and I don't think I would be standing on the other side of this with such an optimistic outlook if it weren't for them. So I dedicate this episode to them. But I don't want to give some blanket dedication. I need to say their names. They've earned that much and so much more. I dedicate this to my mom and my dad for making sure we had everything we needed and for parking in our driveway to wave hello so we could see some friendly faces. To my brother, who I haven't been able to hug in over a year, who reached out across the Atlantic to make sure we were okay. I dedicate this to my girlfriends, Jocelyn and Lisa, who become my honorary big sisters and delivered my groceries, checked my mail, brought toys and gifts. I dedicate this to Andrea, a mama, to a brand new baby who checked in every day and whose husband took our pup to the beach. Thank you so much. To Heather, a busy mom of two children who didn't hesitate for a second to grab me something I desperately needed from the store. To Anna, a dear friend and my muse who checked in on me every day. To Laura, my best friend, the person I hollered across the lane to every day, who moved to Wakefield, Quebec just two days before our diagnosis and ended up spending nearly two weeks in Swift Current, Saskatchewan because of us. I miss you so much, my friend. To Hillary, a local mom in my community who donated her time and her services to take care of our very new puppy when I was too ill to do it. To my dear friend Matthew, a fellow anthropologist who checked in and offered support and laughs. 
to Jody and Michelle, two exceptional women I can't wait to wrap my arms around when this is all over. To the ladies at Lux Portraiture, who I'd only just met a couple of weeks prior, but checked in on my family every day. To my badass ladies, a secret group of women who will one day take over the world, but until then we offer support to each other in the best and worst of times. To Carmen Eckhart, admin of the West Coast Border Collies Group, who cooked a week's worth of meals for my family, drove all the way from White Rock to Squamish, took my puppy to the beach, and took professional photos so I didn't miss out on a month of her life. I'm forever in your debt. And to the Squamish Moms Group, I don't know what I would do without all of you incredible mothers. Thank you for your support. All right. Now that the shout-outs are done, here's my COVID tale and what will hopefully be your ultimate guide to preparation for self-isolation. In a hundred years, I bet you didn't think you're going to need an ultimate guide for self-isolation because of an actual pandemic, did you? Well, welcome to your first zombie apocalypse. It's been one hell of a year, isn't it? Lots of upheavals, change, tragic loss, murder hornets, no travel, the planet burning and flooding in response to our careless destruction. It's the kind of scene you read about in science fiction novels. Well, here we are. It's reality. Like hundreds of millions of people around the world in the travel and tourism industry and in lots of other industries, my business dissipated in the wake of the pandemic. And when our childcare facility closed up shop permanently, I went back to being a full-time stay-at-home mom. Honestly, I felt like I was taking 10 steps back career-wise. But in the wake of a pandemic, having my little guy at home, I thought it would help minimize the risk of exposure to COVID. And it did. From March to October, other than a small little gastro bug, this little family unit didn't have so much as a sniffle. We kept our bubbles small, washed our hands, wore masks, did everything we were supposed to, but our stretch of good luck came to a grinding halt in October. To be honest, I wavered on whether or not to share our diagnosis publicly. I felt an overwhelming sense of shame and embarrassment. I cursed myself for not being more careful. I felt like a horrible mom for not protecting my son better. And it's not that the shame or guilt passed. I just felt that after seeing a slackening of due diligence in and around my community and watching too many folks forgetting their masks in the shops, and with the second wave threatening to take us all out, it was important to share our journey. I am not here to scare anyone. And unless you're one of those horrible humans who buys into the conspiracy theories and refuses to wear a mask, there should be no guilt or shame at all. What I hope to accomplish with this episode is to encourage everyone to take as many precautions as they can and eliminate any unnecessary risks because the implications of contracting this virus are not just physical. It can put a massive strain on every single aspect of your life. So in the interest of information sharing, here are a few things that I've learned that I think will help you prepare for self-isolation. But first, I'm going to give you a timeline. On September 30th, I was driving home from an appointment, and my son's dad phoned to say that our son had woke up, woken up sick from a nap which was odd. He was perfectly fine when I put him to sleep a few hours earlier, but you know these little guys. Things can change fast. Like any mama, I was concerned. 
I ran through the door up the stairs to find a very pale-faced, docile little boy cuddling his dad on the couch. He was congested, miserable, and tired. No fever, and to be honest, COVID hadn't even entered my mind yet. Our neighborhood complex had been hit with a nasty cold just a couple of weeks prior, and our family is the Venus flytrap when it comes to cough, colds, and flus. We were veterans. Last year, we had colds, the flu, bronchitis, pneumonia, and croup. So I battened down the hatches and raided the stockpile of pediatric cold meds and flu meds, dragged out the humidifier, busted out the eucalyptus oil and the hydrosense, and went to work nursing my little guy back to health. At 12.36 a.m. on October 2nd, something woke me up. I stumbled to the washroom, took a few sips of water from the tap, and I reached for a couple of antacids to tame an angry ulcer. As I was walking back to bed, chewing on my tablets, I noticed something odd. I couldn't taste anything. Great. I've got his cold. But something wasn't quite right. I wasn't congested at all. But I still couldn't taste or smell. So I walked in the hallway, I checked into my little guy, and then I crawled back into bed. Out came the phone, and I swiped onto Google. And yes, I looked up COVID symptoms. Yeah, yeah, I know, don't use the interwebs to self-diagnose, but your mind starts to race, and it's almost impossible to resist the urge to worry. It's a pandemic. Well, one of the very first symptoms on the list was loss of taste. Now I was freaked out. I could barely sleep that night. I was already up several times with my son, who, was, who also suffers from croup, and I was worried. As soon as day broke, I made a few inquiries about where to go get tested for COVID in our town. I loaded up my son and drove to the nearest drive through test site. At the site, I was asked a series of questions and given a pamphlet, and 45 minutes later, after my information was taken and our, our symptoms were recorded, my son and I had the tests done. I drove us home, and we waited for our results. There's a texting service you can sign up for here in British Columbia, which sends you a text if you're negative. If you're positive, they call you. Now, on Saturday morning, which is the next day, I felt like I had been hit by a truck. I could barely move. My limbs were heavy. My skin hurt. I was completely congested. And by now, I had a fever. On Saturday afternoon, a little more than 24 hours after receiving the test, I received a text. Negative. Whew. Thank goodness. I was both relieved, but oh, the flu? How could we have contracted the flu? Almost a year to the day is last year. Oh well, tis the season, I thought. So I went about my day, caring for my little guy, dragging myself around the house, thinking at least this would only be a few days of misery. No big deal. We'll just stay away from everyone for a few days. I just thought I'll get his test results over the text shortly and everything will be fine. Then the phone call. Hi, is this Trudana? Yes. I'm really sorry, but your son has tested positive. Wait, what? How could this be possible? I paced about the house, utterly flabbergasted. Where the hell could we have gotten it from? How? We were so careful. Who? What, is this, what does this mean? Is he going to be okay? And if I don't have it, what the hell do I have? 
I blurted out the questions rapid fire into the phone as if I was expecting the poor nurse on the other end of the line to have all the answers. She was cool. She was calm. She was warm. She was compassionate. I could feel the tears welling up. I looked at my son's dad across the room. I was wide-eyed and I was afraid. I tried really hard to focus on the calm voice on the other side of the phone. Carol, our nurse, walked me through the at-home treatment plan. She explained the interview process that would take place over the next couple of days. And she went over the contact tracing process. I had lists to make and networks to map out. Places we had been and people we may have spent more than 50 minutes in close contact with. People we might have touched. And right before we hung up, Carol went over all of my symptoms again. Then again. She didn't like it. And she was sending me for another test. When I put the phone down, I felt lightheaded. But I also felt weighed down. It was as if someone had climbed on top of my chest and perched themselves there for good. I started making phone calls, sending out flurries of text messages, scribbling notes down. The tight-knit group of friends we kept in our bubble were shocked. Our son was the first person they knew so close to them who had tested positive. They mobilized, and everyone either began self, either began getting tested or self-isolating or closely monitoring themselves and their little ones. I cannot describe to you the guilt, shame, and fear that sneaks into every crevice of your conscience. What if we had infected someone else? What if we made someone else ill? What if someone close to us dies? Sure, you can see the irrationality in hindsight. It's not your fault. But at the time, I was nearly crippled by it. One of my dearest friends had just packed up her life and was already on the road home to Quebec just 48 hours before we got the news when I messaged her to tell her. And because of that, they had to hunker down in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, get tested, and remain there until their test results were returned. By Sunday, October 4th, I was even more ill. I still had a fever. I was completely congested, which is not necessarily a COVID symptom, by the way. I still had no taste or smell, and my body felt bruised to the touch. I went back to the same drive through test site and had a second COVID test done. The results of that test came back two days later. Negative. Now, by this time, I had spoken to two nurses every day, one nurse for my son and one for myself, so my deteriorating health was being closely monitored. The day before I received my second test results, they were in the midst of getting me epi-linked to my son. Now, there's a set criteria for this. One requirement being you have to have a fever of over 38 degrees and another one, you're in close contact with a confirmed COVID case. The day after my negative test result, public health phoned to say that they had reviewed my symptoms and they were deeming me an active COVID case. I was also given my quarantine period, 20 days. Now, if you're wondering why it's not the standard 14 days, it's because I have lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. There are many complications that can occur in those of us who suffer from autoimmune diseases, such as flare-ups, increased respiratory risks, viral loads can be manipulated so COVID can be masked by the disease, and various other wildly inconvenient and sometimes deadly complications. 
If you do have an autoimmune disease, COVID can remain in your system longer, which is why the isolation period is 20 days instead of the standard 14 days. My son's dad also tested negative, but he was epilinked to us because of his exposure to us. He had a bit of a scratchy throat and some fatigue, but thankfully was spared uh, the whole gamut of symptoms. So what about the aftercare? Well, in British Columbia, if someone tests negative, you won't generally get a phone call from public health. You just have to wait for the text or you log into your eHealth, my eHealth, to get your results. But because I had symptoms the day I got tested, public health was assigned to me immediately. And every day after that, our family was contacted daily, sometimes twice a day. A nurse from public health would check in on our progress, log any new symptoms, make note of ones that may have dissipated, but the discharge date never moves. In fact, depending on the severity of your symptoms, it can actually be a moving target. And if you have underlying conditions like I do, there could be complications that can elongate symptoms or worse, send you to the hospital, which is the last thing that you want. So, how did we prepare? The honest truth, we didn't. And we weren't prepared. I mean, my son's dad runs a digital marketing agency and works from home three to four days a week anyway. So that wasn't a difficult transition for him. But because everyone in our bubble needed to get tested, everyone in our bubble, and had to go into isolation while they waited for their test results, there were a couple of days where we had to wait for a household resupply. We had all the medical basics, thank goodness. Um, We were definitely ready for cold and flu season, so that gave us a head start to managing our symptoms for both my son and myself. But I cannot even begin to explain how absurdly fortunate we are to live where we do and to be surrounded and cared for by our our community and friends. When our bubble tested negative and was able to leave isolation, our family wanted for nothing. From grocery drop-offs to mail collection, we have to collect our mail from an outside post office because we don't have mailboxes attached to our townhouses, to prepared meals, dog walking services, Donated toys and books to keep our son entertained with new activities. It was amazing. I spent so many nights in tears, overwhelmed by the generosity and outpouring of support, which is why I gave that dedication at the beginning of the episode. I've worked so hard to cultivate a community, to build an extended family, and there are times when I felt so profoundly vindicated by the love I poured into my community because it all came back in spades. And while I'm shouting how lucky we are from the rooftops, I understand that not everybody has this safety net. And I worry for my loved ones around the world and living in cities or in more rural areas on their own and who don't have family nearby or don't have a relationship with their neighbors. So with that in mind, I had a thought. With the holidays coming and the second wave raging on, now might just be the perfect time to start introducing ourselves, as if from a distance, to our neighbors. It could be something as simple if you live in an apartment building as leaving a note with your contact information and letting them know if you ever need a grocery delivery or a pharmacy run or a few great Netflix recommendations while you're in isolation, you would be delighted to help. Let them know that they are not alone. For many people, self-isolation is crippling in ways you may have not thought of. 
Some people just need to feel seen. Check in on your elderly neighbors, check in on those with children, and anyone living alone. Okay, so here's my actual list. My 19 things to organize before you go into isolation. Now, if you are like scrambling for a piece of paper and you can try to write all these things down, I've actually written this all down in a blog post on urbanzenophile.com and I will include a link to the post in the description of this episode. So don't panic. It's all written down somewhere and you can just look it up. Okay. So number one, establish a support team. These are going to be the people who will be picking up your grocery order, collecting your mail, walking your dog, calling, FaceTiming, checking in on you while you're in isolation. If you live alone, now is not the time to be an island. Reach out now before this happens. And if you live in the Sea to Sky Corridor in Vancouver, or you know me, or you don't know me and you just want to reach out to me, reach out to me. Number two, the grocery stock up. Now don't get all crazy and turn into a prepper and buy a bunch of things that you don't need. Soups, canned goods, fresh fruit and veg, clear fluids. Don't go crazy, but if you have favorite meals you like to cook or comfort foods that will make isolation more bearable, make sure you have some kicking around in your pantry or your fridge. Or you can always sign up for the meal prep programs like Fresh Prep or HelloFresh for a few months and try it out. That's what our family did. Number three, have a minimum 30-day prescription supply. Sit down and organize your medications. So if you're not able to get to a pharmacy, you have enough to get you through. You, of course, can designate someone to pick up your prescriptions for you. But if you're running low and you need a referral from your doctor, go get it done ahead of time. Number four, cleaning supplies. You're going to need bleach, antibacterial hand soap, hand sanitizer, hard surface disinfectants, surface sanitizers, laundry supplies, dish cleaning supplies. One of the top directives from public health is to keep your house sanitized as much as possible, especially if everyone in the house does not test positive or experiences symptoms. Keep that in mind. Number five, bolster your medical kit. Make sure you have at least a two-week supply of cold and flu meds, dry cough meds, pain and fever management, anti-inflammatories, a good thermometer, humidifier, eucalyptus shower steamers or just the oil, heating pad or hot water bottle, and a good first aid kit. Number six. This is something that not everyone thinks of. Know your health history. Now, as someone with an autoimmune disease, I have a pretty good handle on the minutia of detail that sits in my medical records. I also researched the possible complications I could potentially suffer if I contracted COVID, but not everyone is so in tune with their health history. If you test positive, you are interviewed by public health, and they're going to ask you a series of questions about your health history. This helps them determine whether or not you need to seek immediate attention, medical attention, or you're just safe to isolate and self-manage at home. If you have children, they're going to inquire about their history, so always have that on hand. Number seven, stock up on intimate products, feminine hygiene products, condoms. Hey, you might feel well enough for a little bow chicka wow wow. Pregnancy tests, just in case a bow chicka wow wow is successful. 
But in all seriousness, if you and your partner are on the, are on the baby journey and you, you don't want someone picking up something so personal for you, just make sure to stock up ahead of time. Number eight, stock up on personal care products, hair care, body care, toilet paper, antibacterial hand wash, and a really good hand moisturizer. If you thought you were washing your hands a lot before, just wait until you're isolating under the same roof with someone who has COVID. Number nine, stock up on baby and toddler supplies, diapers, wipes, formulas, food. And if you've been using a cleaning service for your cloth diapers, we didn't, we, our little guy is potty trained. Um, but if you are someone who has a little one that uses cloth diapers, you may have to wash them yourself because not all the diaper services are taking, um, will take, um, diapers from from families that that are suffering from covid so make sure you have the appropriate laundry detergent to do something like that i know it sounds very you know like something very small and insignificant but it's a big deal that's two weeks of cleaning number 10 stock up on your pet food supplies if you have a puppy make sure to stock up on extra toys treats brain puzzles because they likely won't be getting outside as much getting physical exercise and you need to tire them out mentally and there are some amazing YouTube channels that are full of ideas to help keep your pup stimulated. You can also use a dog walking company as long as they're comfortable taking your dog um, just for short walks. Number 11, invest in streaming services. Netflix, Disney, Crave, Amazon Prime. You probably already have one or more of these services in place, but if you don't, for those days you don't feel well enough to get out of bed, or if you have a rambunctious kiddo that you need to keep occupied, just sign up for a month. And for all of you parents, do not beat yourself up if your kids are getting more screen time than usual. These are tough times. And throwing Frozen on for the umpteenth time that week doesn't make you a bad parent. It makes you a survivor. Number 12. Do you know if you need any special office equipment? Make sure that you have any special drives, laptop equipment, cameras, audio equipment, anything else that you might need to conduct your job at home as you would in the office, um, just in case you have to go into self-isolation. Or at least be able to have someone arrange, like arrange to have someone pick it up at your office to drop it off at your door. Number 13, upgrade your internet if you haven't already. As winter sets in, we're spending more time indoors anyway, which generally means we're streaming more, which can affect the speed. And if you end up in isolation and you have to work from home, slow internet is the last thing you want to put up with. By the way, if you haven't encrypted your Wi-Fi and you're working with sensitive work documents, you're going to want to do this immediately. Number 14. Complete any necessary house repairs before you go into isolation. Most people don't think about this. But if you have a hot water tank that's about to go kaput, a washing machine that's on its last legs, or a nagging plumbing problem, the last thing you want to deal with is something happening while you're in isolation. Because guess what? No one is coming to fix that when you're sick with COVID. So go ahead, get the issues fixed before that happens. Number 15. Discuss COVID work from home protocols with your employer. Okay, now this may seem a little obvious, but I asked around and I was kind of surprised to learn that many people don't fully understand what procedures are in place at their jobs if they contract COVID and they have to work from home. So have the discussion with your employer now so you have some peace of mind in case it does happen. Number 16, 
stock up on some fun activities and toys for the kids. Okay, so for those of you with little ones at home, especially preschoolers and toddlers, isolation can be extremely stressful. Trust me, I just did 24 days of isolation with a three-year-old. Okay, so now would be a great time to start collecting fun little activities like puzzles and sensory kits, games and toys, dress-up costumes, and art projects. Don't give them to them now, though. Tuck them away in a cupboard and then bring them out. Bring that new activity out every day or every other day to keep things interesting. It worked for me. That's how I survived. Number 17. Get your affairs in order. No one wants to think the worst. And again, I am not trying to fear monger here. And plenty of people will comment with something like, well, you could be hit by a bus tomorrow. And that's true, which is all the more reason to make sure you have your will and testament all squared away so there's one less thing to worry about. COVID is a completely unpredictable virus, and I want all of us to do what we can to be prepared. Number 18. Create a family work play schedule. Now, this obviously only supplies if you're in isolation with your significant other or housemates or family. But everyone is going to need their own space, their own time, their own slice of sanity. If there are childcare duties required during your isolation, try and make it as equal as possible. Looking after cooped up children 24-7 is no easy task. Hell, it's exhausting when they're in daycare part-time and they get to spend half their day outside. Raising little ones is the toughest job on earth. So before you get hit with isolation, draft up a potential work-play-me time schedule for everyone in the house. Because taking care of your mental well-being is just as important as treating your physical symptoms. Number 19. Amend any custody agreements. This is not something my dad, my son's dad and I had to worry about as we're still cohabitating. But if we were living in separate homes, we would have to drop alternative, an alternative custody plan in case one of us came down with COVID. Again, this is not something anyone wants to have to think about. But if the issue is discussed and planned in advance, it's hopefully, hopefully, being the key word, one less thing to cause conflict during such a stressful time. Okay. Whew, that was quite the list. Okay, so where are we at now? The recovery period. In the following weeks, thankfully, my son made a decent recovery. He's still a bit fatigued and a bit weak. Only 16 days after recovering from COVID, he unfortunately got sick again. Not with COVID, with a cold. And while a cold would usually take him five to seven days to get over, it took him 11. But that's because his immune system is now kind of compromised. A few days after, a few days before I left isolation, so the 23rd of October, I developed the dry cough that everyone talks about. And though I didn't develop any serious upper respiratory issues to this day, 42 days after first feeling ill, I wake up every morning still feeling like there's a 30 pound weight on my chest. My body still aches and there's a heavy fog that sits in my brain like an unwelcome filter. The fatigue is so mentally and physically challenging some days that I find myself struggling to finish the smallest of tasks. Kind of like sitting down to do this actual podcast episode. <laughs> uh, COVID recovery for many will be quick and painless. For others, like my family, it's a marathon, not a race. 
And for some, it will take their life. And that's something I want to prevent in any small way that I can. And that's it for this week's episode of Across Storied Lands. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this very personal story. I hope it's, um, it's helped you in some way. As I mentioned before, I'll leave a link for the blog version of this podcast, which will have all of the points I mentioned, as well as some very helpful resource links at the very bottom. If you have any questions about this episode or have a suggestion or request for future episodes, I would love to hear your thoughts. You can send me an email at jordanamanchester at gmail.com. I'm proud to say my podcast is now available on seven different platforms, including Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Radio Public, and Spotify. I know many of you are listening to me on Spotify, so hit that subscribe button so you're notified the moment a new episode drops, which hopefully is not a month from now. I hope you all stay safe, take care of your family, friends, loved ones, and community, and remember, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. <laughs>